Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Effective Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today I am joined by Jake Miller. Jake, thank you so much for coming and joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Now, Jake, can you just tell my listeners, because in Sydney or across Australia, there may be some people that haven't heard of you, probably hopefully not too many that haven't heard of you. You are, after all, a number one Amazon best-selling author. Can you just give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, what you do on your kind of day-to-day job? Yeah, well, for those people that are from Sydney, Australia, and do know me, and maybe this is you, Dan, I think I need to, I'm waiting for my invite to come visit because I've never been to Australia. I need to visit Australia someday, but I am far from Australia. I'm in Ohio in America. I am an eighth grade science teacher currently. Uh, I previously taught math and science and STEM and spent five years as a tech coach before going back into the classroom full-time as a science teacher. And that, that ed tech really is my passion, at least in my work outside of spending time with my own family and my own kids. But my passion my work is educational technology. I, I found years ago that I really love, you know, as much as we say, you know, we love the feeling of when a student finally gets a concept in class that we they never thought they'd understand. And they're like, we see that light bulb click. I found that what I really love is when I see a teacher do that in regards to educational technology, a teacher that maybe wasn't, didn't feel confident about their use of educational technology. And then if I could help them get that light bulb moment, that's something I get really excited about. So I do that stuff through speaking and presenting in my podcast, which is called the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, and recently published a book titled Educational Duct Tape as well. But that's kind of the ways that I feed that 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 fire that I have uh, for supporting educators with the use of technology in their classrooms. Beautiful. So today we're going to talk about not just tech, well, we might be talking about technology, but we are particularly be talking about strategies that teachers can use in their classroom to promote lifelong learning with their students. Mm. Can you tell us what strategy you use or that you've seen teachers use that you think is really uh, important when you're looking to create lifelong learners out of your students? Yeah, what one issue that I've had, I'll, I'll start with I'll start with not the right strategy, right? One issue that I've had in my own time in the classroom, both currently and in the past, uh, is t- students' dependency on waiting for the teacher to tell them what to do next, and students' dependency on grades, and the students aren't. Uh, taking a lot of initiative and the students aren't the owners of their own learning experience. And therefore, they're they're not going to become lifelong learners because they're just playing the game of school, essentially. And, and it's a lot of it is not the student's fault. It's because of the system that we as adults and the adults before us created in our schools is this I teach, you do, I grade, you get it back. And if it's not for a grade, you're not going to do it uh, issue. And so years ago, I, I had a resolution to that in my STEM class that I used to teach. And I haven't yet implemented it in my science class that I teach now because I haven't had time to get it off the ground. And I think it's an important thing to note, like no matter how good the strategy is, sometimes it takes a lot of time to make it, make, you know, make it happen in our classrooms, even if we know it's the right thing to do. And I think we need to give ourselves permission for that. But Years ago, I was teaching this STEM class. I was really proud of the STEM class I taught. Students took it and they learned uh, a little bit of basics of coding. They learned a little bit basics of computer science and some civil engineering and some online CAD programs. And they learned the basics of uh, 3D printing and they learned some, did some hands-on engineering design uh, challenges where they learned to think kind of like a mechanical engineer or somebody like that might. And the goal was really to expose kids to these different things that they might 
you know, go into in their future careers or education or things like that. They kind of tap into parts of themselves that have never been a part of their schooling experience. And I was super excited about the class. And the my friend Dave, who co-designed the curriculum with me, was super excited about the class. And a lot of kids were super excited about the class. But then I had this one class, this one quarter who they're they're what I call that class. And every teacher knows that class where you're like, how how did I get this group of kids together? Like what why how how did this group of 30 young people end up in a room together? And are they here to punish me for something? And I realized that the reason I was having so much behavior problems with this class was because of the pace that I taught them at. Uh, a lot of the kids misbehaving were kids who were either highly capable and fast processors and fast work completers who were bored while they waited for my pace to catch up with their work uh, speed, or they were maybe slower processors or just really deliberate thinkers who took their time through challenges, or maybe they were a struggling student and I was going too fast for them. My, my kids in the middle, who I call the Goldilocks students, uh, the porridge was just the right temperature for them, right? And they were fine in my class. They didn't misbehave, but I had kids on the other two ends of the spectrum. Some of them were misbehaving and they were only in those two groups. So to solve it, I made a student-paced curriculum. So I took a, a website, it was a Google site at the time, um, and I turned all of my lessons, it was the same lessons that I had been teaching, I turned them all into lessons that didn't require me anymore, right? It might be a video of me, it might be a Google Doc that gave them instructions, it might be a website that gave them instructions, whatever it was, they were able to just click on the link and go through the project and kind of, or the, the assignment and just and just do it. And I was free then to go around the room and support them with it. And it, it not only did it get rid of those behavior problems, which was what I was really trying to do, it did the other thing that kind of you're, you're bringing up on your podcast regularly, which is creating those lifelong learners, because I saw my students then take control of their own learning process. They were in the driver's seat, even though they didn't necessarily have a choice over what they did. They had a choice over when they did it and how fast they did it and when they needed to slow down and when they needed to do homework, when they needed to come in during their study hall to get help. And they became responsible for their own learning. And I like to think that that then impacted the way they acted as learners after that. You know, we, we see it regularly. I teach middle school here. And these many of my students, this is the first time, you know, as our eighth graders, that they've ever found school to be truly challenging, right? And they're having to juggle multiple assignments and multiple curricular areas and multiple homework assignments. And it's never been too much for them. And now they're finding, they don't know how to organize themselves for those situations, right? And that's such a skill that we need through high school, through college, through work. And school wasn't doing that for them. It didn't teach them how to do that. And I think a student-paced curriculum really gives students some of those skills because they start to manage themselves. They become responsible for themselves. It brings in that kind of executive functioning stuff that we talk about where they're taking full responsibility over the work they're doing. That process that you're talking about, where you're getting students to you know, control their own pace of things, mm -hmm. was that just for like one lesson or was that across the entire term where you would actually already have laid out much of your terms work yeah. and recorded videos or had um, you know, your, your activities listed with links and that kind of stuff and the instructions yeah. already provided. Was that just, was that lesson by lesson or is this a full term that you've prepped like that? It was, 
It was the full term. And that's why, you know, when I said earlier that I haven't done that in the current science class that I teach now, it's because I'm on my second time teaching that class. And I don't, I don't know my activities and my curriculum quite well enough to craft it out ahead of the students getting to it and giving them that student pace. But this was the second or third time that I was teaching this STEM course. It was a a quarter long course, so about nine weeks. And so I had taught it once already. So I had all the curriculum ready. And so what I did was I would make the activities, I just had to stay ahead of the kids. I, I was not ready for the whole quarter at the beginning of the class. And I remember the students saying, well, Mr. Miller, um, you said we're going to work on this all quarter and just go at our own pace, but there's only six activities here. That's only going to take us a week or so. And I'd say, well, yeah, but tomorrow there'll be seven and the next day there'll be eight. And that's what I would do every day. I would just add another activity onto the end of that. And actually, because because the students were working without requiring a, a lot of interaction from me, sometimes I was even doing that while they were in class. You know, they were sitting working and I was sitting and working. Of course, I'd spend maybe half the class walking around and talking to them, but I was able to spend a lot of time actually just doing that work and preparing the content for them um, so that it was ready for them when they got there. So yeah, it was the entire quarter, uh, smaller one to one to five day assignments just in order. And they just went through them in order. And like I said, I didn't have them all ready to be in the quarter. I had taught them uh, as a as a not student-paced course before, so I was just turning them into student-paced curriculum one day at a time as I went through it. And there were days where I was struggling to keep up with that rate, you know. And I would be honest to the students about that. I would tell a kid who was ahead of the pace, I'd say, "Hey, listen, the next assignment isn't ready. Uh, you know, I, I I'm having a hard time keeping up with my own pace here. Uh, what I want you to do is explore this for today." And the kid number one was excited to explore something of their own, but they were. I, I hope that they were impacted by the fact that I was willing to admit to them, hey, I'm doing my best. Hey, some, sometimes, you know, sometimes these things happen to us as adults. And I think they got a lesson from that, too. You know, but then in following quarters, it was already I just had to keep tweaking it as I went through it. So which skills then do you think you're really helping to develop in your students to set them up for you know, lifelong learning? Is it just the skills of you know, monitoring their own pace or mm. is there more to it than that that helps them long term? Well, I think I think that's one piece of it, but it's also being able to it's it's different from a true self-assessment. Maybe maybe it's almost like a mindfulness in relation to their own work. And it's a self-assessment of where where they're at and not so much as what they're understanding, but where they're at because they had to know not only did they have to monitor their pace, but they had to take that information about their pace and know what steps they needed to take. You know, no, is this the time where I can go deeper into a project? Or is this the time where I need to really buckle down and go as fast as I can? Or is this the time where I need to come in for extra help or spend extra time on it? So not only were they monitoring their own pace, they were making um you know, mature decisions about what to do in order to handle whatever they've noticed about that pace while they're monitoring it. Now, Jake. For a teacher who's just going to get started with this kind of a process, where would you recommend that they get started this week? If they're listening to this podcast at Sunday night and they're like, oh, I'm going to put this into practice this mm -hmm. week, what yeah. should they do? So the one thing I came into this knowing, and I, I talk about this a lot on, on the Educational Duct Tape podcast and in my book, is the idea of... Uh, when you know better, you do better, right? So you have to, and it's a quote from Dr. Maya Angelou there, and that requires that you have to know certain things in order to do better, right? So at this time, when I started this, I knew that student pacing was a, had, had potential for helping me in my class, but I also had other knowledge. I already knew how to screencast. I already knew how to put activities up on a website or it could have been an LMS, right? So I had this knowledge already in place 
that allowed me to do better. So I think that's some of the things that they could do is maybe learn how to screencast your lessons, right? Like if you don't already screencast your lessons, you it's hard to student pace your course if you're not recording videos for the kids to watch because you still need to give them some instructions there so maybe you learn how to screencast maybe you learn how to use a tool like moat to record audio um, instead of a screencast it could just be an audio file from the teacher right but learn some different strategies for putting your information online so it's asynchronously available, right? So the student can watch it when the student's ready for it or listen to it when they're ready for it or read it when they're ready for it. I think doing it in text, oftentimes my students didn't read it completely, right? That's just the way students are. So I think video and audio are really best. So I think that would be the first step I would take is developing that skill, that ability, and then you could start to leverage that to create something that's student-paced. I think that's great advice because... A lot of teachers, they want to dive straight into it and then they get mm -hmm. stuck because they haven't learned the processes yet. And so getting making sure you actually know how to use screencasting or at mm -hmm. least know how to shoot a very short explainer video, I think okay. is a great way to get started on that idea of student self-paced processes. Mm -hmm. Jack, thank you so much for coming on and joining me and talking about uh, you know, this student self-paced learning. Can you just tell my listeners where they can connect with you yeah, um, that'd be great. That. Yeah, so I, I'm on all of the social media platforms at Jake Miller Tech, and my website is jakemiller.net. And if you go to either of those two locations, uh, you'll be able to hear about my podcast and things like that, which is a great way to keep connected with me that way too. Yeah, and your number one book that's on Amazon where <laughs> they can go yes. and find that. What's it called again? It is Educational Duct Tape and EdTech Integration Mindset. Yeah, and Educational Duct Tape is the same name as your podcast. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And that's a, that's an idea that I've, I've worked on before. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor that I talk about on both of them about how we use educational technologies as a tool to address problems in our classroom. So just like duct tape, right? It's a tool that we use for things. And just like in the suggestion I was talking about, we use screencasting to record video directions for a student to watch when they're ready to. So the problem is needing the student pace your curriculum and the tool is the screencasting. So the, the, the problem, the goal, the need comes first, and then we identify the tool. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. So if you're listening to this at the moment, please, this is about to end, go and find Educational Duct Tape, the podcast, and listen to Jake there. I'm sure he'll give you plenty of great ways that you can use technology as duct tape to solve some problems for you in your classroom. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you could leave me a review. Uh, and I would also love if you could, if you haven't already, head over to teacherspd.net slash workless and grab a free chapter of my book that is soon to be released. Make sure you come and grab that as well. And if you want the transcript or want to watch the video for this episode, head to teacherspd.net slash 93 and make sure that you hit the subscribe button and come back and join me next week. Thanks so much.